Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly, Leadership in Question. As you know, initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. President Biden's mix-up has many concerned about his slowdown. We have a report and congressional reaction. Fact or myth? We unpack a new study on the long-term effects of so-called gender-affirming care. No man is an island. Pope Francis offers hope for those who are in desperate need of healing. And from Sin City to Sports Mecca, Sunday is a day of worship, but this week fans of the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs will be praying in Allegiant Stadium. We're joined by 49ers chaplain Father Steve Kim. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Apollonia of Alexandria. Our top story tonight, President Joe Biden faces tough questions about his memory and mental state just hours after winning a legal battle. The topic is generating a lot of reaction about the president's mental fitness and ability to serve. We have team coverage tonight. Eric Rosales will share reaction from lawmakers in a moment, but we begin with correspondent Owen Jensen at the White House. Owen. Tracy, the president's legal victory also sparked a political setback. Prosecutors pointed out the president's failing memory, something the president and his press secretary strongly deny. Although President Joe Biden will not be charged for mishandling classified documents, the report that freed him also blasted his mental acuity, saying Mr. Biden's memory was significantly limited and Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during our interview of him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? I wear since the day he died, every single day, the rosary he got from Our Lady of... The president never finished his sentence describing where the rosary came from. President Biden also misspoke at the news conference after calling Israel's response in Gaza over the top. Initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. The president meant to say Egypt, not Mexico. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre defends him. He's been not just my boss, but a mentor to me. And no one in this building would say that what we saw in this report about his memory. But the president's political opponents were quick to criticize. Presidential candidate Nikki Haley calls on Biden to take mental competency test. Earlier this week, the president gave a speech where he mistakenly referred to a dead German leader. And this afternoon, hosting the current German chancellor for a critical conversation about the wars in the Middle East and Ukraine. Today we'll also discuss the work to just we're gonna be doing together to strengthen NATO ahead of the 75th NATO summit this summer here. So you gotta come back. Now, back to that prosecutor's report. Earlier today, Vice President Kamala Harris weighing in, calling it gratuitous, inaccurate, inappropriate, and clearly politically motivated. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. 
Our reaction from Capitol Hill was swift over the Department of Justice's report criticizing President Joe Biden's memory, stating that he is not competent to stand trial. Both sides fired off comments following the president's remarks last night. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us with more. Eric. Well, good evening, Tracy. I read over the report last night, and what the DOJ is saying is really damning. As my colleague Owen Jensen mentioned, according to the report, President Biden could not remember when he was vice president or when his son Beau died. Republicans have long claimed that the DOJ is politically biased, and now it's the DOJ seems to be the one who says that President Biden is not competent to stand trial, much less serve as president for the next four years. Republicans say the evidence is clear. If he's not competent to stand trial, why is he the commander in chief with the authority to send our sons and daughters into harm's way? Why does he have access to the nuclear codes? Some Democrats agree. Congressman Dean Phillips is running against President Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination. Based on what I read, he said there was evidence, but he recognized that by prosecuting it, uh, they called him an elderly man with a fading memory and would be too sympathetic in front of a jury. Most in his party were quick to come to the president's defense, disputing the DOJ's finding that President Biden deliberately kept classified material from investigators. And there's simply no evidence here. I don't understand how he even is able to say that he willfully retained it. He has one example, literally, as far as I can tell, one example of uh, demonstrating any knowledge that he had classified information. Some Democrats claim special counsel Robert Hur is just trying to make a name for himself. I agree with President Biden's reaction, which was, was absolutely outrageous to question the president's experience in the death of his son. It was a grandstand effort, and I hate it when prosecutors do that, but the bottom line is he reached the right conclusion. No criminal charges. And with him calling the president of Egypt the president of Mexico, is that just a lapse? Is it's that... just, it's just, you know, when, when you're there, did you watch the, the spectacle of all these press folks just shouting like, it was like the Tower of Babel. Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson weighed in, stating, if anything, this exposes a two-tiered system of justice by the DOJ. Indicting one president with politically motivated charges while carrying water for another with similar allegations. Tracy. Well, Eric, I understand senators will be voting tonight to try to advance the foreign aid package. What more can you tell us about that? Yes, uh, that vote is actually going to be taking place on the Senate floor later on this evening as uh, it's going to be able to provide money for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan, but nothing for the U.S. border as of yet. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says that he intends to keep the Senate in session until the bill passes. A final passage is likely to happen on Tuesday of next week. Tracy. Okay, thank you, Eric. And for more, let's go to John Kenneth White, a professor of politics at Catholic University of America. Professor, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, a polling has shown voters are concerned about the president's age, and now the special counsel report described Biden as a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Your thoughts and what type of political impact could this have on President Biden, and how concerned should he and his team be? Uh, well, thank you for having me. First of all, uh, I'm sure that age, there's no question that age is an issue uh, in the campaign. Uh, and it was always going to be there. 
But what I really strongly object to is the kind of media narrative and the cheap shot that your reporter took saying that Biden couldn't remember the church uh, where uh, he got that uh, that rosary that his son gave him. That uh, is, it was very clear to me watching that, that the president was very emotional, as he always is, when it comes to the death of his son. And to insinuate, as the uh, special counsel did, that he could not remember uh, where his son died, when he died, etc. Uh, I just refuse to believe that. A tragedy that large, the president remembers that very, very clearly. I think his anger was very clear. And my guess is, is that people that saw that understood that that was quite gratuitous. Now, uh, he will continuous, continuously have to address this issue, but so will others. So will former President Trump. So will Speaker Mike Johnson, who misspoke on Meet the Press last Sunday. Um, uh, and, you know, again, I look, I think that the president does have a job to do to get out in front of the public, to show that he's in command of the issues. And uh, it's not going to be quite enough, although I, I appreciate it, to rely on the testimony of others, particularly his vice president today and members of the cabinet. Uh, I think that you'll see opportunities to see the president engage much more directly with voters, particularly as the uh, campaign heats up. Um, so that, that's my general uh, uh, Professor, I'm going to jump in here one minute. We, ha we have about a minute left or so, and I am so sorry to cut you off, but I do want to get to this next question. Uh, and you did mention the gaffes uh, that President Biden uh, has said and President mm -hmm. Trump, uh, former President Trump as well, maybe not with as much um, you know, as many times, but there were there some there as well for Trump. Uh, this report, though, has compared uh, to a Comey moment. James Comey exonerated Hillary Clinton after the investigation into her private servers, uh, but then essentially ripped her apart, which played into the narrative that helped to drive her presidential bid uh, seemingly right. into the ground. Do you think this is the same thing that's happening to President Biden I, right now? I, I do. I think that it's a uh, uh, that it's not obviously a criminal indictment, but it is a political one. And I think that what the president is going to have to do, and uh, and we've started to see that today, is to begin to respond to that much more forcefully uh, than Hillary Clinton did. And I think we're going to see that over the next several months as uh, as the campaign wears on. Well, Professor White, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for your insights. We appreciate it. Thank you. Our former President Donald Trump has won Nevada's Republican presidential caucuses. The 45th president now has another 26 delegates toward the nomination. He was the only major candidate to participate in Nevada's caucuses. This follows former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley's loss in the state's Tuesday primary. The race now heads to South Carolina, where the Republican primary will take place on February 24th. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including Inside the Numbers, a new study examines the long-term effects of so-called gender-affirming care. And the heart of the church, Pope Francis reaches out to those who feel stranded by society.
suspect accused of killing a priest in a small Nebraska town has pleaded not guilty. 43-year-old Kier Williams faces first-degree murder and other charges. This after the death of Father Stephen Gutzel was fatally stabbed inside the rectory at St. John the Baptist Church in Fort Calhoun. The suspect was found on top of Gutzel when authorities arrived. Williams' next court date is March 5th. Well, the Archdiocese of Montreal has filed a lawsuit over a measure regarding assisted suicide. The Quebec government is seeking to have all palliative care hospices over medical assistance in dying or maid. The Archbishop of Montreal is asking that a Catholic care center be exempt from the measure. This could be a landmark case for religious and conscious rights. Well, the American College of Pediatricians is coming out with a new position statement on the long-term effects of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones on the well-being of adolescents with gender dysphoria. The report found that these treatments had no lasting benefit for adolescents. The study also urges medical professionals and parents to address the underlying mental illness, adverse events, and family dysfunction that often precede gender dysphoria. And here to explain more is Dr. Jane Anderson, the Vice President of the American College of Pediatricians. Dr. Anderson, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, a lot to unpack here. Uh, but first, tell us why your organization felt the need to come out with this position paper. Well, so many parents are being told um, of gender dysphoric children that they must go along with medical and surgical interventions, otherwise their child will commit suicide. And what, what we did was evaluate over 60 articles in the scientific literature to show that this was not true at all. There is no evidence that either social affirmation using the correct pronoun or allowing the child to change their hairstyle or uh, the medical intervention such as puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, nor surgical interventions uh, affect the mental health of the adolescent. And in fact, a lot, the only long-term studies are actually in adults and from Sweden, which is a very uh, socially affirming culture. They found that those who had transition actually had a suicide rate markedly higher in one study up to 19 fold higher in those who had transitioned. So we are not helping our children and adolescents by providing them uh, with, in a sense, uh, affirmation of a delusion. Doctor, I'm going to jump off of that, what you mentioned about Sweden. Of course, Sweden uh, was sort of a, a pioneer, if you want to call that, uh, the first country in the world to legalize gender transition back in 1972. And they, you know, have pumped the brakes on this so-called gender-affirming care for young people. So why don't you think, why do you think the U.S. isn't following Sweden's recommendations when clearly they have more data on this than we do? You're absolutely right. And it's not just Sweden. It's Denmark. It's Finland. It's Great Britain. It's France. And most recently, Alberta, Canada are looking at the research, looking at the scientific research and saying, we have no evidence that this is helpful. And we so wish that we um, could see the same results in, uh, in our country. But unfortunately, there's, I think, a political agenda, but it's harming our children and adolescents. 
We have a bit, about a minute or so left, Dr. Anderson, but can you talk to us about the relationship between certain mental disorders such, say, as autism or ADHD and gender dysphoria? Yes, there is a markedly increased incident of those adolescents who have a history of any kind of mental illness, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, those who also might have um, unfortunately suffer from autism, uh, and then especially those who have suffered adverse childhood events in their uh, young in their childhood, all those categories of children and adolescents are at a much greater risk for experiencing gender dysphoria. And all those are amenable to um, mental health treatments, and that's where our focus should be. And we're going to leave it right there. Dr. Jane Anderson, thank you so much for coming on and for your insights. We appreciate it. God bless. Thank you for having me. Our Sunday is more than the final Sunday before Lent. It is also World Day of the Sick. The initiative coincides with a celebration of the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes on February 11th. EWTN Vatican Bureau Chief Andreas Tonhauser has more. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. Many times we feel abundant or alone when we are sick or feeling vulnerable. In his message for World Day of the Sick, Pope Francis reminds us of the fundamental importance of human relationships. The sick, the vulnerable, and the poor are at the heart of the church. They must also be at the heart of our human concern and pastoral attention. Observed on February the 11th, it was introduced by Pope John Paul II as a way for the faithful to offer prayers for those who are ill. The day coincides with the commemoration of Our Lady of Lourdes. The sanctuary in southwestern France is associated with a miraculous spring that many believe will cure their ailments. In your opinion, also speaking to pilgrims, why do people come to Lourdes? There is a very special atmosphere here. All the people who come in Lourdes um, make an experience, unique experience of fraternity, of presence of God, quasi-sensitive, of respect, of healing, inner healing, first of all, and sometimes also a real physical healing too. Not officially recognized all of them as miracles, but um, many, many people come here because here they find they find uh, humanity real human. The sanctuary of Lords embodies the faithful's hope for healing the world over. Physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing. The real first illness we need to be healed. The real illness, illness that, is, um, that, can re that can lead to death. It's not the physical visible ones but the illness of the heart, of the soul. And people come here in order to ask, to pray for the, 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 the cure of this mortal illness. And the other illness, if it comes, it's just a present, just free present from God. The Holy Father reminds us that we are first to heal the sick by healing our relationships. Embracing love and connection, emphasizing their vital role in confronting societal needs and also in helping our personal well-being during times of vulnerability. 
in Rome, Andreas Townhouse and Matteo Cioffi, EWTN News Nightly. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, a busy Sunday ahead of the Super Bowl. We check in with a chaplain of one of the teams playing in the big game. Hallow announced that it will be airing its first ever Super Bowl commercial this Sunday. Hallow CEO says the ad will be a 30-second invitation to pray together. The commercial will feature Catholic actors Mark Wahlberg and Jonathan Rumi and will air shortly before halftime in around a dozen markets. Well, more than 100 million people are expected to tune into Sunday's game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. And among them, two faith leaders who will likely be watching the game a little more intently than many other fans, the Catholic bishops of San Francisco and Kansas City. Do you have a wager for this year? Yeah, I think we've got a good one. Tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern on EWTN News in Death, San Francisco Archbishop Salvador Cordiglione and Kansas City Bishop James Johnston place a friendly wager. See what the losing prelate will have to pony up. Uh, finally tonight, the Super Bowl winner may not be determined by a last-second Hail Mary, but one lifelong San Francisco 49ers is ready just in case. That's because Father Steve Kim is not only a fan, well, he is also the team's Catholic chaplain. A priest in the Diocese of San Jose, Father Kim celebrates Mass for players and staff the night before home games. He is also available for confession and counseling. He says that he constantly reminds the players to bring Jesus to the people. And Father Steve Kim joins us now. Father Steve, great to be with you. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, first, tell us, how did you become a 49ers fan and why do you like them so much? Uh, well, first of all, thank you, Tracy. I heard that you're a Niners fan, too. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I may be. I have a connection there, Father Steve. <laughs> and I'm wearing my red. <laughs> I like the red. Well, both, both, both colors. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, as you mentioned, I've been a lifelong fan of 49ers. And uh, I mean, it's not like you apply for something like this. They just they just needed somebody to, to say mass. I said, well, why not? And that was about eight years ago. So I've been doing this about eight years now. Yeah. That's wonderful. So when you started doing that, I'm wondering, you know, what went through your mind? Were you obviously really excited about it? It's pretty neat. Yeah, very excited. Um, and, you know, at first, you know, when I'm used to seeing players, you know, in the TV or sometimes I'd go to the game, but you see them kind of far away, you know, you get like you know, nosebleed seats. But when you see some of the players like like right there in front of your eyes. I mean, they're like modern day gla gladiators, right? So you kind of get a little bit start, you know, star shock, you know, starstruck over there. Um, but then, you know, it, it, it's likewise for many of the players or the coaches, you know, they, they, they respect um, you know, the chaplains. We also have a wonderful Protestant chaplain as well. Um, and, you know, they, they want, you know, Jesus, they want, uh, you know, a service. They want the, the, the Eucharist, you know, uh, the day before Mass. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important, I mean, really, it's an important role that you play for them. What do they say to you? You know, how important are, are you to them? Um, so, like, not everybody goes, right? It, it's optional. So in the evening, 
they have uh, in the team meetings and afterwards they have a part of the service and a, and a Catholic mass. Um, but a lot of them, you know, they're away from their homes, right? Whether it's a home game or away game. And uh, a lot of players and coaches, they have their, you know, they're, they're creatures of habit. And just having the mass the night before, that ritual, and just bringing it together, being grounded, I think it really kind of keeps everybody in line. Um, and just kind of like helping us think about the bigger picture of things, right? That, yes, yes, there's games, there's a lot of things involved, but in the end, it's, you know, it's about God, right? Absolutely. Um, curious, did you, any kind of advice or special prayers or novenas, uh, did you say for the team before the big game? Um, so we had, yeah, so we, we had the night, uh, the other mass against before the Detroit game. And, um, you know, it's, we always pray for players to be, to be, uh, you know, healthy, you know, free of injuries, but also, uh, I, I, it's also an opportunity for us to, whether you're a player, whether you're on the sideline, whether you're an assistant coach, whether you're a staff member, but as part of the 49ers organization, um, you know, people look to you or look up to you, and it's it's a great responsibility and a great opportunity uh, to evangelize, to glorify God's name, um, and especially when there's so many fans in the stadium, where there's so many people watching, they're watching every single move or soundbite. Uh, it's a great you know opportunity to to glorify God. Yeah, we have maybe 30 seconds left or, or, or so, Father Steve. I, I do want to ask you this. I mean, I know uh, that you have an extensive background uh, in golf. And curious, does being an athlete yourself, um, and not just a fan, but also an athlete, does that help you in your ministry and to understand the players and staff more? Yes. Um, I mean, I, I, mean I, I was a, a pretty decent golfer, but that sense of competition, you know, like everybody in the NFL, whether you're a coach or a player or a backup, there's a reason why you're there, you know, because you are the best at what you do, right? And there's a sense of competitiveness, uh, but it, we have to channel that competitiveness towards towards the good. Um, and I try to say, you know, let's 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 try to you know win win for Jesus, right? Absolutely. And and, and Father Steve, we're almost out of time. Quickly, all right. Any predictions? Uh, Niners are going to win. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're betting on it, right? Thank you so uh, much yeah. for coming on. We appreciate it. Enjoy the game. God bless. Thank you. Take care. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.